SAFM, leading the conversation. The Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Flipping conventional wisdom on its head. On SAFM. 21.12 is the time. We're back live on the final segment in this, the first week of Human Rights Month, March. The date is the 4th of March. And joining us now is the CEO of Boston City Campus, Mr. Ari Katz. Ari, good evening. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you? Well, sir, how's it? Good, thank you. I was just speaking to your producer, Letel Khosh, an ex-Boston student. That's why you are here, I suppose. <laughs> Fantastic. It's great. Um, you must be proud then, surely. Sorry? You must I'm saying be? you must be proud. Absolutely. Uh, she was just telling me about the class of 2007, where she graduated. Oh, she's not a spring chicken, for sure. <laughs> not allowed to say that. You can just agree. <laughs> Ari, how ready are you guys? How ready are your campuses across the country in these different times, both economically and certainly for institutions of higher learning and education, which yours is, it's not often that at this time you're starting the academic year, if anything, you should be wrapping up the first term in a normal world, not this time. Yep, you're so right, you're so right. And in fact, it's a really challenging year because of the fact, on the one hand, matric results only, were only released last week. Mm. So the new academic year is only about to commence for first-year students. But we have actually commenced already for second and third year students, for repeating students, because mm. we felt there's no point in delaying them any further. I mean, it's going to be challenging enough for first year students who are only starting, as you said, in the middle of March, where normally we'd already be halfway through the first semester. So that's certainly going to be one of the challenges of 2021 for all educational institutions in that the academic year is starting later. And provision is going to have to be made on the one hand for expediting and catching up uh, for the lost time. And primarily that will have to happen through, I guess, reduced um, or shorter holiday periods um, so that we ultimately manage to achieve the, the syllabus by the end of the year. Of course, you are a private institution, private entity. So in many respects, you don't have some, not all, you don't have some of the challenges that would be faced by public institutions of higher learning. Similarly, you would have probably more pronounced challenges by virtue of your being a private entity as opposed to those that are public entities. Can you just confirm to us what are some of those differences, both for the good and for the bad? So I think before we before we even talk about the differences, which I will come to in one second, one of the big challenges that I foresee for 2021 for both public and private is the uh, potential that there could be a third wave of COVID. And if there's a third wave of COVID, that undoubtedly is going to potentially uh, disrupt uh, teaching and learning. So one of the things that I think is going to be really important for all institutions, and we certainly have taken all the necessary steps to ensure that there is provision for online learning. And in our case, we've made sure that everything is available online so that students aren't going to be disrupted. So I think that's going to be a big factor in the year. And along with online teaching, it's going to be really important for institutions to also make provision for their students to have access to data. So it's important. I'm calling on the telcos Mm. as well. We've done a deal with one of the telcos to make uh, data available to our students very cheaply. Which one is that? I mean, that's a good story. It's not just one of the telcos. It is a specific telco. I mean, that's something positive. Yep. Which one is that? 
So what we did was we did a deal with MTN where normally it would cost 99 Rand for one gig of data. They've been amazing and they've given us 50 gigs of data for our students for that same 99 Rand. And uh, so that's really going to help. And, and in fact, it helped us hugely last year in 2020. And as a result of that, we were, we were it, it really saved us. And in fact, as a result, we had a 90% participation rate despite COVID. Um, our students were able to connect and were able to actually study. And so we had a 90, over 90% participation rate by the end of the year, which was really a good story. And, and I think MTN really came to the party to help us out there, eh? No, of course. I mean, these are some of the wins when the Competition Commission, for instance, inquires as to the data services market. And these responses are in line ultimately with its recommendations. So it is a feel-good story. It is appropriate that we say what MTN has done has a massive public benefit and there's absolutely no shame in praising them when it is appropriate to do so, as this instance is. But, of course, there are other challenges or there are other benefits that you have simply because you are a private entity. Do you want to delve into those? Yeah, so we were going to talk about some of the differences. So, yes, so the first, the first I think, benefit, obviously, is the fact that we have the flexibility of uh, provision. So, you know, we're not bound by, by necessarily the fact that we have to be classroom-based or, uh, or online-based, etc. Our model is such that everything is effectively available online, but we do have 45 centres throughout the country where students who don't have access to facilities can come in and use that uh, the facilities. And so that, that's a big advantage of being private. Of course, one of the negatives of private, obviously, is the fact that we don't have access to government funding, and so it's, it's privately funded, um, which is, of course, a negative. And that is going to impact students this year because, as we know, that uh, there have been cut. Uh, NISFIS and other funding has actually been cut back from public funding, um, and that will definitely have an impact on uh, student access to tuition, whether it be at you know particularly at the public institutions. Mm. Um, so that is obviously a factor um, that that is going to influence student access during the current year. There's a listener here who is Temba from Rustenburg. Let me just read his message, and I think this is something the CEO surely can respond to. Hi, Songhezo. I'm in Rustenburg. I only have O level from Zimbabwe, ordinary levels, that is. I'm thinking of furthering my studies. Do I qualify at Boston City Campus? That's all the message says. You're probably not in a position to respond to Temba specifically well, because you don't know what it is that he's talking about insofar as what he wants to do. But generally speaking, would one from outside the country with O-levels or is there some way of recognition of foreign learning? Yeah, so actually, okay, it's a very interesting question you ask um, and it's very common. So the O-levels is uh, obviously the UK qualification um, from the Cambridge or, or Pearson's and it's equivalent to what they call these days IGCSE, which we would in South Africa equate to a grade 11. The, the way he would have to proceed is he would have to probably first do an AS level, which is uh, the equivalent of grade 12, and then many institutions also offer the A level, which is the, uh, so they call it the year 13. But one of the things that he could do, he could contact Ivy Academy, who offer uh, the British qualification, the the GCSE and the A-levels, and he could do his A-level, and then he can get an equivalency of matric and move into um, to a higher education institution. On the other hand, mm. he's not inter- interested in proceeding with higher education, 
but he's, in, he's, a, he's okay to do occupational or further ed, then he wouldn't have to carry on. He could do it with his O-levels. So my advice to him in Rustenburg, we do have a campus in Rustenburg. There's free career guidance. You can go and see a career guidance counsellor. There's, there's absolutely no obligation and no cost to it. And he can get some advice. They'll look at his specific results and uh, see what he wants to do. Also, one of the things that I would encourage all students to do is to gain as much career advice as possible. And there's a lot of facilities available out there in the market. We, for example, have a tool which is freely available called Career Compass, and students can use it to actually explore different career opportunities. And I'd, I'd urge students to do that because one of the big issues about passing at university and getting through, which we've seen from research, shows that the more uh, thoroughly students have researched their potential career, mm, mm. the better their chances of actually sure. succeeding and making it through. You know, and so where students talk about IT, for example, they need to understand what is it in IT that they want to do. Is it software? Is it hardware? Is it AI? Is it data analytics? What is it? You know, And so get some career guidance, look at these tools like Career Compass, and do what we call career exploration. Find out what is that career all about, what are the associated careers, what are the other options, what are the subjects you need, uh, etc. Um, so I'd urge all students to do that before just simply registering for a career based on something that you've heard from somebody else. The migration from public entities or public institutions to private entities institutions for precisely the reason where you said you've got greater flexibility and I understood flexibility to actually mean control of your timetable for so long as the general level regulations in the country allow you to do the things that you would prefer to do that with a bit of consideration in the public sector is not as easy to do because of all the government engagement how much of an influx are you seeing Certainly this year, because this will be the first time where you will have an enrollment number that would tell you whether or not this is consistent with our average, below our average, or in the other direction, more than our average. What have you seen so far? Mm. So that is very interesting. So first of all, let me just say to you that we are also bound by regulation and we also accredited yes. by the Council for Education. Yes. So we also have to comply with all the relevant legislation. So whilst there is an element of flexibility, it is within the confines that and of the of the of the council for education yes yes but having said that one of the the impacts that we've seen as a result of which we're seeing right now as a result of COVID, because we were able to flex so much easier um and because our whole model was online we've seen quite a big uptick in registrations this year and particularly students who saying to us well if there's a third wave how will i continue and be able to say to them well you'll have a choice. You'll either be able to come into the colleges around the country or you'll be able to study online. So that element of flexibility has definitely, um, how can I call it, played in our favour mm. in that we've seen students saying, well, hang on, that I don't want to be left stranded and therefore um, I want the flexibility of either online or, uh, or, 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 or going to college. Let's engage some of the more difficult questions because this is a social justice program and there's no better person to pose some of these questions to you. There are students who struggle and many of them would, as they are anywhere else, would be enrolled at any one of your campuses. How has 
the group responded to those persons who are either indigent or whose family circumstances changed during the course of the year. So despite whatever the promise was upon registration last year, things took a turn for the worse. And how, for instance, we were listening to the story around WITS during the news. There's a hardship fund. There's a COVID relief Mm -hmm. fund for students and particular thresholds to the extent that the university can either allow you to return whilst you still have debt from the previous year or find funds to continue funding students to the extent that they can. What's happening there at Boston? Okay, so we've done quite a number of different things. So first of all, in the course of last year, there were a lot of um, very heartfelt stories of parents who've lost their jobs, etc., etc. And so we had to make a number of concessions, which we had to do throughout the year. And we actually invited any student who had problems to come and sit with us and make a, a specific plan relevant to their circumstances. And uh, we actually set up quite a big task team to actually do that. And and I'm I'm really pleased to say that that was one of the factors that contributed towards, you mm. spoke earlier of the 90% participation rate. The other thing that we've done as a result of uh, the fees hardship, in our higher certificates, we've implemented a program called Invest in South Africa. And we've reduced our, our we've, well, not reduced, but we've invested We've created a fund to invest in subsidizing the fee of higher certificates um, quite significantly. So normally, and I'll give you an example, mm. where a higher certificate would cost around between thirty and 35000 rand a year, we're actually doing it this year as a result of the Invest in South Africa fund. We've, uh, we've reduced those to somewhere around 20000 rand. That's a massive uh, difference. And we've it said, is. you know what, it's covid um, there's massive unemployment, there's massive hardship. Um, we Part of our mission, obviously, is to grow South Africa, and this is certainly the year to come to the party. If ever there was, this is the year. And so we've, we've, you know, we've launched that program of Invest in South Africa, and we're really hoping that people will see it as a gateway um, and it'll it will relieve some of the distress. Who's invest in, in this invest in South Africa? Who's actually putting the money so, in? So there? we've actually put the money in. We've actually created the fund and we've put the money in. Um, and uh, so it's literally our contribution to um, to, yeah. to the future generation. And along with that, we've also created another program. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you spoke about social justice. Yes. So, of course, one of the big issues is not just getting a qualification, but actually finding a job. Yes. And so we've introduced a program which we think, which we, we introduced it actually last year, funnily enough, just before COVID kicked in. And so it was quite challenging, called Graduate Support Services, where we've said to ourselves that when a guy graduates, we have a responsibility, even post his graduation, to actually help that guy, that graduate, to actually yes. find a job out yes. there in the market. And what we've seen, which is so interesting, is that graduates might have great technical skills. So a graduate could have studied IT or marketing or whatever it may be, mm. accounting, etc. And they've got great technical skills in the area of expertise. But one of the things that these guys haven't learned is how to find a job. And what we've seen is that finding a job in the new world, in the digital age, is a science in and of itself. And so we introduced this program called Graduate Support, which is absolutely free for any Boston graduate, where for six months after graduation, we will work with you um, to mentor you, to coach you, put you on some programs, uh, life skills programs, job hunting programs, etc., to and introduce you to employers, to assist 
in creating employment or internship, etc. And that's part of our moral responsibility. Absolutely no cost to that program. Very few institutions invest as what it sounds like you have done specifically for six months after leaving. This is what we will do for you and you will take from it what you will. Has South Africa generally in that space missed the boat? Because in many respects, it doesn't. what you are looking to do is to bridge, as you have said, it's a skill to find yeah. job within the time that you are looking to find a job. And, and, and a lot of it, there might be just be an asymmetry of kind. I, I've been a, I, mean, I was a lawyer trained from the University of Fort Hare, and all I could do was to send emails. So I sent emails, and in yeah. the old days, I was writing letters and putting them through the post box and waiting for a turnaround time of a month before I could get a response. Now, that world is no more. And That's unfortunately, true. I don't know of many, if any, graduate support programs of the kind that you have. And yep. in the United States in particular, this is how they rank universities, by how yep. quickly a graduate can be active and contributing to the U.S. economy. That affects rankings in this well, country. more than ranking. It's part of the moral and social responsibility. Yes, yes. I think it, it, it wasn't about rankings. It's about the social and moral responsibility. And I'll just tell you what's interesting on the example that you gave me about sending letters and waiting for it in the post. Well, well unfortunately, I've got bad news for you because you would have failed. <laughs> Sorry to tell you. Because <laughs> one of the first things that we teach the guys, and such as I said, the science is in the digital age, before you even think of sending out that email, mm. research the company, understand, identify what they're really looking for. And one of the things we found in research and it's such an interesting point, is that more important than your CV, for example, mm. this is one of the simple things, is the cover letter. And you'd ask, why is the cover letter more important than the CV? And that's because that's your opportunity to engage with the company and for the company to realize that, hang on, this guy is sending this application. He knows what we do. He understands our, our culture, our ethos, etc. It's your opportunity to engage with them more than the technical skills that they're going to see in your CV. Um, and so one of the things we teach, we, we teach on that program is the importance of, for example, the cover letter, the introductory email. Another, just to say, I'm just giving you one or two mm, simple mm, facts, mm, of, and you'll see how, what a valuable program it is. One, uh, one of the other things that we, we teach the graduates over there, and again, it's based on research, fun enough, which we picked up initially from the States, but we've seen it in South Africa. Mm. And if you go for the interview, one of the the the, the, the very um, effective mechanisms post the interview is to send an email to the guy who interviewed you saying, you know, in the course of the interview, you mentioned to me that your company was interested in digital marketing. I just want to point out that I've now enrolled on a digital marketing course and I realize that there's this and this opportunity for oh, your company. beautiful. So uh, what you're telling the, the, the interviewer, number one, I was alive to what you were telling me in the interview. Number two, I'm proactive. And number three, I've been managed to link it to something in your organization. And we've seen from the guys who send those um, um, post-interview emails, Almost all of them land up getting jobs. The value so, of a post-interview email. So I'm just all I'm mentioning is, you know, you mentioned that this program is about social justice, etc. Mm-hmm. The only pro- the point that I'm trying to make is yes, that sir. post the qualification, institutions have still a moral and social responsibility to have some kind of guidance and engagement with the graduates.
Lesejo and I have agreed. Now, you're the only one who hasn't and who still can. You have to come back and just specifically, if you like, give us a graduate support program of kind in the segment sometime soon because i can imagine i am not the only person who has just discovered or has just learned truly as you have presented the value of a post-interview email just to keep my name there alive and relevantly so because i'm saying to them guys whatever you are talking about make sure you're also talking about this and in that sense one has full control because it's your email to them and they don't even have Absolutely. to reply. Ari, you have to come back. Lesejo will be in touch and I will too. Uh, call, uh, the, the, the unemployment rate is just horrific in this country and we have to do something about it. I appreciate that. Thank you so yeah. much. The CEO of Boston City Campus, Mr. Ari Katz.